We're going to turn our attention this morning to the book of Genesis, to the first book of the Bible. Genesis 37, specifically, is where we're headed this morning. Genesis 37. How many stories begin with this phrase? There I was, minding my own business, when suddenly... Uh, Now, I can't speak to Pennsylvania, but I've been a resident of Ohio for over 30 years, and I I now am aware of the natural migration pattern of Ohioans, and and I realize that somewhere in their mid and late 60s, this quite sudden urge to be in warm, humid weather comes over them, and they feel this sense of this pull southward uh, down, down to Florida. And many, many make that their home for the rest of their lives. But I have to tell you, I, I really don't have any interest. I, I just, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a Florida type guy. And I don't mean that personally to any Florida fans in the room. Uh, I kind of, I don't like the wet heat. You know what I mean? I don't like the, I don't like that sound. Uh, one of, the, one of the things about Florida, and just all the creatures and the creepy crawlies, I'm like, can't do it. Another thing that happens a lot in Florida are sinkholes, uh, which really is a, uh, an odd disturbance in which too much moisture wears away at the surface layer of soil, then causing a collapse of the soil, uh, and then a hole or a pit that ultimately just swallows up anything in its path. And we have a picture of one from uh, Central Florida here. Can you imagine, think about it, an innocent family, and there they were, minding their own business, when suddenly the ground gives way and it takes their house with it. I mean, I've heard of split-level homes, but this is ridiculous. They didn't ask for this, but here life comes nonetheless. And yeah, there is such a thing as sowing and reaping. That's that's as scriptural as it gets. Sometimes our behavior leads to sinful natural consequences that we have to deal with, we must repent of, we must seek restoration, and sometimes restitution. But then there are moments and seasons in life when it seems like Life is just happening to us, certainly without our permission. We weren't the cause, but life throws us a curveball or a series of them, and it leaves us reeling. I think these are always difficult moments to understand for the believer in Christ. For it is tempting to think that being a follower of Jesus somehow places a force field around our lives, our loved ones, and our possessions. But we all know this is not true. In fact, Christ himself told his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. And to borrow from the music man, we got trouble right here in River City. That starts with a T, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for pit. You didn't know you'd get a Music Man reference this morning, did you? And out from nowhere, we find ourselves in a pit 
that was not of our design or intention. Now, through adolescence, a young man named Joseph had been living a rather charmed life. He had been the favored son of his dad, Jacob. Jacob had waited forever to be able to have a child with his beloved Rachel. And Joseph became the firstborn from his wife, Rachel. And so he was esteemed quite highly. In fact, earlier in Genesis 37, we see that his father gives him a coat, a very special coat of many colors. And it was a very unique, including his brother. Either he had made or had made that no one else had, <laughs> including his brothers. And here he was, this very charmed young man who had had dreams given to him by God that his brothers someday were going to bow down to him. And then he was dumb enough to tell his brothers that. But now this starry-eyed dreamer was about to be introduced to the pit. We're going to do a very little slice of the life of Joseph this morning. I'm calling the message Pit Stop. And maybe some of you find yourself in a pit and you would say, well, what is one? Seriously, spiritually. So here's how I'm going to define a spiritual pit in your life. It is a place, not of our design or our intention, that can make or break our spiritual progress. There's no avoiding them. We don't choose the pit it chooses us. I've, I've never woken up in the morning, met with the Lord, and said, boy, I sure hope it's a pit day today, Lord. You don't ask for that, but here they come nonetheless. It may be a diagnosis, a firing, something sudden that comes out of nowhere. A pit is always unexpected, and it's always unjust. They are not fair, yet there they are. Nonetheless, when we fall or more likely are thrown in, in Joseph's case, into a pit, it becomes a test of our faith. How we handle these moments will make or break our spiritual progress and could determine if we live out God's destiny for our lives. I've known folks who are still in their pit. So let's turn our attention to Genesis 37. I'm going to start at verse number 12. Genesis 37, 12. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem, and Israel, that's Jacob, said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. Now skip to verse 17. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we, will, uh, then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see 
what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when we arrive at a pit stop, and some of you may be there this morning, what I want to do from this scripture, I think we need to have five determinations when it comes to our spiritual pit in order to navigate it successfully and cause it to be an agent of spiritual growth in our lives. So let's give you five determinations. Number one, and these are almost statements that you have to tell yourself. Number one, there is a battle going on. That's the number one determination. There is a battle going on. We have a spiritual enemy that is playing for keeps. And too often, God's people live with little to no recognition of it. And unfortunately for Joseph, his enemies were his own brothers. Now, Joseph, who doesn't have to work like his 10 elder brothers, is sent by his dad, Jacob, to check on them. And his brothers can see him coming a mile away. That's what the scripture says, from afar off. You're like, how do they know it was him? Well, it was the stupid coat he was wearing. I go, here comes Mr. Multicolor Boy. Here he comes. Oh, this Technicolor dream coat. No, that's not what they called it. That's what Andrew Lloyd Webber called it that. But they could see him coming from afar off. And here he was with a whole different set of rules and circumstances than his brothers. And anger took hold of them and morphed into envy and then into hatred. Verse 18 tells us they conspired against him to kill him. Now, that's on a whole other level right there. Now, Joseph, of course, is aware of none of this. But here it is happening. So please understand, I'm not advocating for paranoia or uh, finding a demon around every corner. But we do have a spiritual enemy that hates the Lord, hates that he lost to him, and now can only take his revenge by taking down his kids. Satan has a plan for your life. Now, it's not original. It's not creative. He can't create anything. He can only pervert. But he's got a plan for your life. And he has agents to help him accomplish it. Because the devil is not omniscient. He doesn't know all. He is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere at once. He is not God. But he has fallen angels at his disposal to work on a more personal level. And they work from his marching orders. If you've never read the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis, can I just encourage you with all my heart to read that? It's one of the most insightful books on spiritual warfare written decades and decades ago. But it's a classic. Jesus told us in John 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Satan has a plan for your life. He wants you to be dismayed and discouraged to the point that we walk away from belief in Jesus and we ultimately ruin ourselves in the process. 
The enemy loves discouragement, death, disfigurement, and desolation. It's what he's all about. According to a group named Church Track, pre-pandemic, approximately 3,500 people left religious congregations every day. That's a rate of 1.2 million people walking away from church every year. And while each church is unique, leading experts say a church should expect to lose about 10 to 15% of its members year over year. The number accelerated due to widespread church lockdowns, and many churches are still trying to recover from it. Now that lockdowns are behind us and the pandemic has waned, churches are seeing some past members return and new guests arrive. However, on average, churches are 85% of their pre-pandemic attendance level. Now this kind of stuff makes hell cheer. Hell loves for God's people to be alone and isolated and nowhere near the rest of God's family. Because the enemy knows that when we are alone, just like a leopard looks out for a gazelle, it's on its own. It's more likely to take them down when they're alone. Boy, they made us all. It sure became, and Pastor Bailey and I were talking about this, it sure became the enemy's playground. It made us all crazy, didn't it? And we probably still haven't fully reckoned with the mental and emotional damage that resulted. Now, maybe you don't think you're worth all the fuss. Have you ever thought about that? You're like, okay, really? Satan's having like high-level meetings about me. Right, okay, thanks. You're like, I just clock in, clock out. I'm clock in, clock out guy, okay? I'm hardly, you know, I'm not Luke Skywalker here, okay? And I know we, we may not think we're worth all that, but anyone who has been redeemed by the blood of Christ is facing a battle daily for our heart and soul. The enemy loves to use a pit in our life for a full-on assault in an effort to steal us away. And Joseph was about to find this out the very hard way. You see, the enemy isn't a Democrat or a Republican. Boy, isn't that good to know with the election season that never seems to end. The enemy is not a man or a woman. It's not a boomer, an Xer, a millennial, or a Gen Z. Ephesians 6.12 tells us we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's our enemy. Recognizing the unseen battle is step one to passing the pit test. Number two, realization, determination. I have not lost God's favor. When you're in the pit, you've got to find a way to be able to say this. I have not lost God's favor. Verse 23, now back to our story. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. You know, I've heard it said, that adversity does not determine someone's character, it reveals someone's character. And there's nothing like a cry believe about God and ourselves. I know we've been through a real season of loss in our country for the last few years. But I want you to notice the losses that Joseph is about to sustain in this story. 
Because before it's over, before this day is done, he will have lost his entire family, including his father and his little brother Benjamin, who actually loved him. He will have lost his position. He will have lost his freedom. Talk about a pit. Verse 23 tells us they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors. This one-of-a-kind gift that was given to Joseph from his father. A sign of his father's favor. You know, for a young man, few transactions in this life are more meaningful than when they receive something cherished from their father. It's practically downright divine. It's the ultimate sign of his dad's favor over him. And now it's gone. You know, the experience of the pit always involves loss. Maybe we lose our health, our job, a friend, our security, money, position, or a title. Maybe we had to downsize and we lost the dream home we thought the Lord had provided for us. It would be easy to believe that somehow the favor of God has been removed too. Some are fighting this very battle today. But let me ask you this question. Had his father Jacob changed his opinion about Joseph? Absolutely not. Has the father changed his opinion about you? That's what you got to hold on to. That's because my status isn't based on me. It's based on the work of Christ within me. Romans 5 verse 9 tells us, Since therefore we have now been just... For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This doesn't change regardless, folks, of our savings account and balance. Joseph didn't need a robe to prove his father's love for him. Neither do we. Even if the trinkets are taken, the favor of God still rests upon you and me because of the work of Jesus Christ in you and me. You have not lost his favor. We are still our father's kid. Number three, determination. When we're in the pit, I won't jump to conclusions. I won't jump to conclusions. Now, we're going to actually skip towards like the end of this story for this one. But it fits very nicely with what we just talked about. Because now that they've done what they've done with Joseph, the other brothers need an alibi. They're going to have to explain that something happened to their brother. And verse 31 tells us this. Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. 
Watch. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put on sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Please notice this. The brothers say almost nothing to Jacob. They technically don't even speak a lie, depending on how you word it. All they do is hold up a blood-smeared robe, and they're like, this is Joseph's, right? And Jacob filled in all the blanks. Jacob automatically assumes an animal has caused his beloved son's demise because who in the world would believe his brothers were responsible? I mean, really, frankly, believing anything worse would probably be too much for a parent to take. But really, all the other boys had to do was just hold up the robe. I don't know. This looks kind of familiar. I've seen it around. Have you guys seen it? Yeah, we've seen this. Jacob's like, that's Joseph's. They're like, oh, is it? You know, the enemy is a master of this. They are a master of holding up false evidence and letting us fill in the blanks. Of course, coming to the absolute worst conclusions and thereby shaking our faith in God. And when we end up in a pit, there's the enemy holding up false evidence in the hopes that our our faith, our trust, and belief in God. See, for them, anything in this department is a win for them. He wants us to look at false evidence and jump to unholy conclusions. We lose our job, we take a financial hit, We struggle to make ends meet. And the enemy holds up the quote-unquote evidence and says, looks like someone's not living their best life. And he wants us to fill in the unholy blanks and just awaits our conclusion that God is not good. Or at least he's not good to me. Or he just likes or blesses other people more than me. And we lose a battle. Our kid makes a bad choice. And the enemy holds up the evidence, hoping beyond everything it will lead us to conclude failure and shame and bitterness in ourselves. This is what happens in the pit. This is why anxiety seems to be as common as, you know, breathing in our world today. I'm almost tempted to shock people by saying something like, you know what? I met the weirdest guy the other day. He doesn't have anxiety. I know, right? Anxiety is nothing but jumping to conclusions. If you want a very unofficial definition of anxiety, there it is. It's jumping to conclusions. Don't do the enemy's work for him. The truth of the word of God is stronger than the lies of man. Faith must kick in. We, we don't know or we see all the evidence right now. I get it. 
But that's when faith takes over in Hebrews 11.1, 1, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We must have a faithful conviction on the love and goodness of God and not jump to ungodly conclusions. I hope you were catching all the songs that we were singing from one song to the next, that he is faithful, that he is faithful, he is reliable, he did it once, he'll do it again. He's faithful. One thing we have to remember in the pit, well, I'll get there in a second. First, number four. Realization number four. God is still up to something. Back to verse 25 in our story. Then they sat down to eat. Could you just pause for a moment? How, how messed up in the head do you have to be to throw your brother in a pit and sit down for a nice little picnic lunch? That's like another level. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judas said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Now they're going to make money out of it. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. Oh, that's so big of you. And his brothers listened to him. Now remember the dream over Joseph's life. He was going to be in some kind of exalted position someday and be bowed down to. Now, even if you believe that, how in the world was that going to happen? <laughs> Do the math on that. Israel didn't even have a king yet to be bowed down to. God's people didn't bow down to anyone but Yahweh. And what no one, including Joseph, could have possibly known, hear this, pit dweller, hear it, was that the Lord was going to send him to a kingdom in which there was a king who was bowed down to Egypt. So how does he get there? Well, you know, the natural way, through a group of nomads who buy and sell goods, including people. I mean, even if somehow you were able to put together that Egypt was going to be the place that Joseph was going to end up, there is no way you would come up with this plan. And one thing we have to remember in the pit is that God is playing three-dimensional chess while you and I still can't figure out checkers. He's working on a whole other level. He is orchestrating. He is moving pieces on the board outside of our awareness for our benefit and for his glory. I went through about a 14-month season in which I was unemployed and I wasn't sure where the Lord wanted me to go next and financially it just became impossible to live independently and so I moved in with my brother he's two years older than me he's also in the ministry and I crashed in the basement and tried to figure out what God's will was and every day was such a struggle because again I'm here I am in my own pit wondering if, if God had left the building. 
And now here I was stuck in the basement in my mid-30s. And I was just begging and pleading pastors for a chance to come and preach at their church. And, you know, your pastors just get bombarded with 50 requests a week from different folks. It's a lot. It's a lot for them to handle. And I remember I, I had a, a guy, he was a youth pastor friend, and now he was senior pastoring. He says, well, Matt, you want to come out to my church? And it was a real small, you know, it was under 100 folks. And probably when I say under 100, I mean like way under 100, like less than 50. And about two hours to, uh, to get to love to be there. And I drove about two hours to, uh, to get to the church. And, look, I, you know, I, I knew that whatever, I didn't know, what was going to happen that morning, or I was just glad for the opportunity. And I was just standing on the third row, and uh, there was a young man off to my left, about 15 feet away. And he was very to himself. He was very, like, thin, and he had, like, a black T-shirt. And um, he wasn't quite goth, but he was on, on, the, on the way, and very to himself. And... Uh, after the worship, they, they said, hey, greet one another. And so I, I went over to him and introduced myself, and he, he said his name was Joshua. And uh, I said, oh, it's good to meet you. So I went up and did my thing, and afterwards came back down, and we were wrapping up. And I, I don't know. The Lord kind of led me to pray for him. I didn't really have anything, you know. There, there was no angelic vision over him. You know, there was nothing like that. I just prayed over him and um, uh, gave him an embrace. And he was like, can I have your email? I'm like, sure. And, you know, and I just thought, honestly, I'll probably never hear from him again. And every so often, he'd send an email and just telling me what he was doing at the church and he was involved with the, the young people and stuff. I'm like, cool. Well, I got hired and I started working for the Ohio District for the Assemblies of God. And I, one of my jobs was I was in charge of this ministry event. It was sort of a development thing for our pastors. And I got an email from Josh. Josh says, hey, are, are you going to be at that thing? I'm like, well, yeah, I'm running it. He's like, cool, I'm going to be there. I'm like, huh? Because he didn't like fit the category, you know? I'm like, they know you're coming, right? He's like, yeah. Oh, great. So one night after, after the service, we, he came back to my room, and I said, man, just update me on your life. And he said, um, he, just, he told me what was happening, about involved with the students of his youth group, and um, God was calling him to get ministry credentials. That's why he was there. Because uh, he wanted to go into the military and work with mental health within the military. And he saw that as a, a God calling on his life. And I said, wow, that's great, Joshua. That's great. And he said, yeah, but listen, I need to tell you about the morning you were there. He said, uh, I had really been going through it, and I, I really had not been a part of the church. I had been there a couple of times. And I just wasn't sure. I didn't really connect with anybody. He said, I woke up that Sunday morning and I looked at myself in the mirror in the bathroom and I said, okay, I'm going to give these people one more try. 
And he goes, and I showed up, and there you were, and you were so kind to me, and you prayed over me, and you embraced me. And he said, I walked away from that going, maybe these people aren't so bad. And he said, you know what, Matt, that's what began the journey. I ended up giving my life to Christ. I, see, I thought he was already all the way there. I didn't know this. He goes, and then I started working with the youth, and now God wants me to go into this, into this direction. Now, look, I, I can't stand here and say, this is why I was unemployed for 14 months. I can't say that. Here's what I do know, that outside of my awareness, God was moving pieces on the board because he cared about Joshua Arnold, and he had a thing for him, and he somehow thought I was the guy to do it. And it changed his life. God is still up to something. I know you're like, I'm in a pit. What can I do? It's not about what you can do. It's about what he's doing. God is up to something. Lastly, the last determination we must have. God will get me out. See, I want you to understand that pit you're in, the enemy is trying to tell you this is your grave. Right? You know, you better get used to it. You better like get some lampshades in here. You're going to live here. Now, I don't know how long you're going to be there, but I know God will get you out. Verse 28. Then Midianite traders passed by. And they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Uh, they took Joseph to Egypt, it says, in verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. You know, the hardest and most interesting part of this story is that Joseph doesn't do or say anything. Isn't that interesting? Like, I, I couldn't stand up here in good conscience and say, let's look at the life of Joseph and what he did and said to get you out of the pit. He's just the recipient. You know, it starts with Anna one, Anna two, right? And then finally they're like, all right, get him out. And you can look, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't do anything. And you know, sometimes we just go through seasons like this and we think, if I could just like do this magical thing, if I could just do devotions like two weeks in a row, like kaboom, the heavens will, you know, if I tithe, I can tithe my way out of this. We're there as long as we're there. But it's not as if we're in time out either. I do know that Joseph endured. There is something to be said about endurance. I know, I know, that's not an amen. I, I know, I get it. You're like, woo, endurance, yeah. Right, nobody says endured in a positive way. I'm enduring this. But there is something to be said about endurance in the Christian life. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. Here's where some of you are today. 
He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and hear and put their trust in the Lord. Sometimes the whole point is just the getting out. Because there might be people in your life who need to see somebody getting out. And that, seriously, that could be the whole point. You got in to get out. I know, and that might be all you've got. There's no like great, you know, Hallmark movie moment. You know, you're like, I shall walk away with this conclusion. You're just like, okay, I'm out now. Yay, I'm out. But there might be somebody who's been stuck for a really long time who needs to see somebody getting out. Because either they've never believed that or they've stopped believing it. And our recognition that he's getting us out is huge because many will see and hear and put their trust in the Lord. What helps us to endure is to realize he is in the pit with us. He's not at the top shouting down instructions to us. He's certainly not somewhere across the world dealing with someone he thinks is more important. He is in it with us. He's certainly not ignoring us and hoping we figure it out someday and recommending some good podcasts to get us through. Nothing wrong with podcasts. I host one. Okay. You see, the Lord also has a narrative. I know the enemy has a plan for our life, but the Lord has one too, a true one. And we must bring all of our cares and worries and fears to him so that he can give us what no one else can. Even if all we hear is, I'm with you. That can be enough for us. For the day will come when he gets us out and he sets our feet on a rock. Now listen, in Joseph's case, by, uh, by getting out, probably it may not look the way you want it to look. Okay? In other words, if... If slavery is an upgrade, you're having a bad day. But that's what happened to Joseph. He got out. Yeah. Right? I, I know we're, we're very, like, black and white on this. That being in the pit is the worst thing in the absolute, which it doesn't have to be because Jesus is doing stuff. And the getting out may not be the most glorious thing in the world. But we're out. And the Lord has a reason for what he's doing. The point is the getting out. It wasn't pretty or easy for Joseph, but it was all, it was all God. Because he was, of course, 800 steps ahead of everybody else. He had to get him to Egypt. And this is kids' play for the Lord. But Joseph had to go through a thing. Now, I know this isn't the most, I'm not trying to paint God as cruel. But the Lord knew what he was preparing this young man for. And this young man needed to understand what suffering was. Because the people of Egypt were about to go through seven years of it. And so he had to understand what it's like when everything is lost. He didn't realize, realize all this. But God is making something 
and everything leads to something. I want to be faithful in what I'm doing right now. And when you see in Joseph's life, everywhere he went, he was the best worker they had. I want to be faithful as God is faithful to whatever I have because everything leads to something. And over here is God's destiny for our lives. The pit is not your destiny. Everyone got that? It's just a pit stop. That's all it is. Because you and I are serving the best getter-outer in the universe. We're serving the one who got all of the Israelites who were suffering under slavery in Egypt long after Joseph was living, and he got them out. And then we got, when they got stuck between a sea that was too big for them and an army that was too big for them, God got them out. When three of his kids wouldn't bow down to an idol and they were thrown into a fiery furnace, he got them out. When his son Daniel was thrown into a den of lions for praying against the law, God got him out. God is all about getting out. He wants to do a getting out in your life. The pit that you're in right now, he's going to get you out. This is not your grave. And many will see and hear and put their trust in the Lord. I'd ask for you to bow your heads, please. This is just a pit stop. But we have to have these determinations in our, in our heart. There is a battle that's going on. There's a battle for your heart and your soul. Yeah, you. Little old you. There's a battle going on. You have not lost his favor. The outer circumstances do not dictate the inner work of Jesus Christ in your life. And today, if you've come into this sanctuary and you don't know what that work of Jesus is all about, if you've never received that, you can right now. I can't think of anything more important in life than recognizing that there is a God and you are not him and that he died for you He lived the life you and I could not live and died a perfect death so that you and I did not have to endure what he endured. But if we insist on being God, we will never know that kind of freedom. There is a work that Jesus has already provided for you. Will you believe it? The Lord went on a cross to take away the sin of the world, including yours but it doesn't go into effect unless you believe it by faith. So this morning, if, if you have never made the decision to follow Jesus and give him your life, give him control of your life, from where you're seated, I want you just to say, Jesus, I give you control of my life. I give you control of my life. I hand it over to you. I receive the work you have done for me. Forgive my sin, Jesus. Forgive me. Forgive me. I can't get rid of my sin, but Jesus, you already have. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe in you. Just tell Jesus you believe in him. 
Give him control of your life right now. And I'm telling you, like a flood, you'll realize you have the favor of God upon you as you make the most important decision of your life. I want to speak to believers who find themselves in a pit today. Maybe you experienced a loss. Maybe it feels like you've been there forever. And I don't know. I don't know how long it's going to last. It, it could last years and years. It could. It could. But you're not alone in there. Because God is moving pieces on the board that you and I cannot see. It's so important for you to remember that there's a battle going on for your soul. It's so important to remember that you have not lost God's favor. It's so important for you to remember that God is still up to something. That he's going to get you out. You may not have the answers today. There may not be some glorious path that is lit for you day by day. But the Holy Spirit within you is the path that you walk. Let that be. Let his word be a lamp to your feet and a light for your path. That's all we need. And he'll get you out. But he's preparing you for something. So this morning, if you find yourself in a pit and you feel like this is, this is my life sentence, I want you to reject it right now in Jesus' name. Say, Jesus, I am so sorry I believe that. I am, I'm gonna break those false agreements I've made with the enemy right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I'm gonna choose to believe that your favor is still with me. I am still your son. I am still your daughter. I am still your kid. I believe it, Jesus. I believe that. Assert that for yourself this morning, would you? I want you to hear yourself say it. Lord, you are up to something in my life. Jesus, you're going to get me out. I will not jump to conclusions. No longer. We lay anxiety down in Jesus' name. Anxiety does not have to be my normal in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, right now that you would flood the souls and hearts of my friends this morning. Right now. Holy Spirit, like a wind, Lord, just blow through this place right now. Let the breath of God just breathe upon your children right now. Let there be a refreshing that can only come from above upon your people right now. Jesus, do the work that a preacher cannot do. Holy Spirit, bring new hope, new hope to your people today. God, I worship you today. If you're in a pit this morning and you're looking for God to just show up in a brand new way, would you just lift a hand from where you're seated? It's okay. Joseph was there. Every amazing person in the Bible. You're in good company. Lord, I'm in a pit right now. 
I want you to keep your hand raised. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine the hand of Jesus Christ because his arm is not too short that he cannot save. I want you to envision the hand of the Lord coming upon you and placing it in your hand right now. He might not be lifting you out of it today, but he's here. I am with you, the Lord says. I have not abandoned you. I have not left you. I am still here. I am still here. So Jesus, today, I pray for new hope and faith in my friends. I pray that you will allow us to hang in there and endure because you're writing a story of our lives and you're still holding the pen. The pen is moving. Lord, you've done it before in our lives and you will do it again. We choose to believe it today.